Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do on this show is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our confusing world so that you can face the chaos of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 22, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, they will pronounce my name over the Israelites, and I will bless them. This benediction is one of the most beautiful uh, sections of Scripture in the Old Testament, one that's referred to often, one that is fairly well known, but I think not always as well interpreted and known how to apply to our lives. For today's episode, I'm digging back into my sermon archives to share uh, this teaching that I gave a while back on this passage to try to help uh, you to understand how to uh, understand this this benediction here and to how to apply it to your life so that you can benefit from these beautiful words and this blessing uh, that was for the Israelites and I believe for us as well. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. Remember, if you're not subscribed to the show yet, uh, to do so by subscribing on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Whenever you leave, it, leave us a rating and review, it really helps out as well. And so uh, without any further delay, uh, I'm excited to share this episode with you guys on the benediction. As we start to consider this passage, I want us to ask ourselves this question. Who do you listen to more than anyone else? Who do you listen to? What voice do you listen to more than anyone else? Now, maybe for a lot of us, we start thinking of different media figures, or we start thinking even of, of social media and the voices that we take in there. Some of you, maybe you, maybe you thought, I don't know, maybe you thought Taylor Swift or, or you thought of what other voice you listen to the most. But what I mean more than that, you know, maybe you think to yourself, well, I listen to, I listen to my parents the most or I listen to my teachers the most or I listen to my spouse or my best friends the most. But let me tell you something. There is another voice that you listen to that pales in comparison, uh, that, that you listen to this one so much that all those other voices pale in comparison to this voice. And that person, that voice is you. You listen to yourself far more than you listen to any other voices in our culture or in your family and friend group or anyone else. You're listening to yourself all the time because the reality is that we are constantly speaking to ourselves. Sometimes you're aware of this but, and, and you think, why am I saying that to myself, right? But, but often it, it's, it's almost subconscious the way that we are constantly speaking to ourselves. Um, you know, even if it's just interpreting what's happening around us in the moment as we're, go, we're, we're, we're talking to ourselves about uh, what, what, what's going on around us, maybe whenever you're in a, a social setting, you're, or you're telling stories to yourself all the time. Think about it. You're telling stories to yourself about the way that people perceive you. Maybe you're, you're anxious to go into a certain uh, uh, setting in your job. Maybe, it is, uh, maybe you have a little bit of social anxiety. So you're going to a party or some kind of social event, and you're, and you're worried about it, and you have this anxiety, and you're telling yourself these stories of what people are going to think of you or what people already think of you and, and, and how they perceive you and so on. Now, little of that is based in any fact at all. It's just a story you're telling yourself, right? 
We do this all the time. We tell ourselves stories and we replay experiences, whether they be traumatic experiences or good experiences. We're replaying them in our head all the time. And we're constantly speaking to ourselves. You see, you are the voice that you listen to far more than anyone else, telling stories, replaying experiences, thinking through decisions, interpreting events, and so on. And friends, this is why it is so important that we read Scripture and take it seriously. You're often told that you need to read the Bible to count, to read, to uh, take in God's truth to counter the things that you hear in the world. But listen, it's also true that you need to read the Bible to intake its truth to counter the things that you are telling yourself. You need to read the Bible and you need to take it seriously because what the Bible does is it confronts not just the lies that we hear out there, but it confronts the lies that we are often telling ourselves in our mind. Sometimes we are giving into sinful thoughts and the scripture confronts those sinful thoughts and it, and it, it, it confronts us and convicts us with the truth uh, of God's word, right? Sometimes we are thinking thoughts though that are, that are just wrong about ourselves or wrong about God. Sometimes we start giving into these uh, very negative or self-hating talks, and, and we, we talk about how we, maybe we aren't loved. Maybe we have been forgotten by God, we, uh, or, or, or God has, uh, no longer has favor for us, or whatever else. We start telling ourselves these kind of things, and even in those situations, we need the truth of Scripture to confront us and tell us, no, you are wrong. This is why it is so important that we take in what the Bible has to say for us, for our sinful thoughts, for our proud thoughts, for our uh, self-hating or negative thoughts, for the false stories and narratives that we tell ourselves. We need the truth of Scripture to confront these things. What we read this morning just now in Numbers chapter 6 is called a benediction in Scripture. The word benediction comes from two Latin words, uh, and essentially what it means is to speak a good word. That's what it is, and there's a lot of these in the Bible. Uh, I, I could read you a lot, but I just want us to focus in on this one for this morning. This is God uh, speaking a good word. That's what a benediction is. And I think that it's important as we start the new year, as we reflect on improvements we'd like to see in our own life. I know many of us do that at the start of the new year with our resolutions and, and the goals that we have for ourselves. And then maybe as we also reflect on the anxieties that we have coming up in 2022, the anxiety is revolving around maybe some goals that you're chasing after, maybe some, some things that you're hoping that God is really going to come through for you on. Or maybe it's just thinking some anxieties and thinking to yourself, based off of the past two years, what's in store for this one, right? So I think it's important, and I think the reason that God put this passage on my heart and just didn't let it go away is because we need a benediction as we start 2022. We need a good word. We need a benediction to counter all the maledictions, the bad words that we've been speaking to ourselves or maybe even hearing out in the world. Especially as we face this new year, we need to grasp hold of God's benediction. So we're going to look at three things or, or, or three questions as we consider this benediction. The first one is, who is it for? The second is, what does it say? And the third is, how do we experience it? So who is it for? What does it say, and how do we experience it? Let's begin with who is it for? Well, whenever we read it, 
we see that it says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. Okay, so this is God speaking to Moses, giving him the law, giving him uh, the, the ceremonial instructions for how the people of Israel are to come to him and worship. He's laying out for them the covenant. He's saying, if we are going to live uh, in covenant together with me as your God and you as my people, uh, then, then here are the terms of the covenant and how we live together. And so this is a part of the law. It's a part of the covenant of what uh, the people were supposed to experience by being in relationship with God. And so he gives it to the priesthood. Now, I think we, we should consider this for a second. We hear about the priesthood a lot in Scripture, but I think for many of us it's often kind of fuzzy in, of, of exactly what it meant of who they were and what they did, right? Well, the priesthood, they functioned in a lot of different roles, but one of their major roles was to act as a mediator between God and man. The priesthood was that. They acted as a mediator between God and man. And very frequently, we see that the priesthood played the role as going uh, before God on behalf of the people as a mediator uh, for the people to God. In other words, they went before God as a representative of the people. This is why whenever you read, in, especially in the book of Exodus, whenever it lays out in great detail uh, exactly what the priestly robe should look like, God tells them, you're going to design the robe and it's going to have all these different things on it. And, and for us as 21st century Westerners, a lot of it just whoo, passes over our head. But there's so much meaning in every stitching of the priest's robe. And one of the things that was on the priest's robe and something they would wear was that they would wear 12 uh, gems. They would wear 12 stones in their robe. And do you know why? Do you know what it represented? What were there 12 of? Something significant. The, t the tribes of Israel, right? And so in, in this piece and in many other ways, they were intended to go before God as a representative of the people before God. And so maybe you've heard that before, you know, they, so they would offer sacrifices, they would pray and they would do different things, but they also could act as a representative uh, to the people on behalf of God. So it wasn't just being a representative of the people to God, going to God and praying to him uh, on, on behalf of the people, offering sacrifices to him, but that mediator role could then turn around and now after going to God and receiving his word, receiving a blessing from him, then being the mediator and representative from God to the people. So this is what the priesthood was doing here whenever God uh, uh, said to Moses to tell the priest to do this. They were speaking as God's representative. They were delivering God's word to the people. Now, there was a lot of different statements, and there was a lot of different vows. There was a lot of different blessings that we read about in the Old Testament, and many of them were only for specific individuals. They were for certain groups of people. But for this one, whenever they are intended to speak this benediction, this one is different. This blessing, God says, is for the entire community. This blessing is for the entire community. He said, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. He doesn't say you will bless the men of Israel. Or he doesn't say you will bless the king of Israel. He doesn't say you will bless the wealthy of Israel. He doesn't say you will only bless the cream of the crop, like the really, really good ones. He says you will bless 
you will tell this blessing to the people of Israel with no qualifications. This blessing, like I said, in contrast to others, which were only for certain individuals, which were only for certain people or for certain uh, segments or groups, this one, in contrast, was for all of the people. This one was for the entire community. Just think about that. What does it mean when he says that this blessing is for the whole people of Israel? It means that it was a statement of the goodness of God that will be shown to the men and the women, to the children, to the rich and the poor, to every tribe, and to every Gentile who had joined to obey and follow Yahweh. This blessing was for all of those people who were going to hear it. Like I said, with no qualifications, with no segmenting off certain or others. It was for the entire community. So the first thing that we learn about this benediction is that this benediction is for all of God's people. This benediction is for all of God's people. Because just as it was for all of the people of Israel, meaning all of those who were in covenant with God, God's covenant uh, has not been broken and it did not end. This, this blessing and benediction is also for everyone here who is in covenant with God. This, one, th this blessing is for all of us. This benediction, this, this good word from God to you is for everyone. It's for the sinner and the saint. It's for the old and the young. It is for the rich and the poor, the sage and the novice. It is for the confident and for the doubter. None of God's people are excluded from this blessing. Here's why it's so important to consider and to drive home. Because so often we exclude ourselves. So often we read God's blessing in scripture. We read passages like this and we exclude ourselves from it. We read about his good plans. We read about the way that he wants to, to move on behalf of his people, the grace he wants to show them, the peace that he wants to give them, and we exclude ourselves from it. This is why it's so important that we recognize that God said, this is for all the people. He didn't step back and say, oh, well, well, not for those who had sinned in this way. It's not for them. And he didn't say, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I take it back. It's not for the people who have had to forgive this many times. <laughs> he didn't say, oh, no, 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 I take it back. It's for the, not for the, this, this blessing is not for the people who have doubts. Okay, not for them, but for everyone. No, he didn't make any qualifications like that. He didn't make any exclusions or, or, or conditions. He said, it is for the people who are in covenant with me. This blessing is a part of, it is a part of the, it is essential to being in covenant with God. But we so often read it and we think, ah, you know, because of our doubting hearts, we start to add in different qualifications and reasons why. Maybe, you know, it applies to everybody, but not so much to me as an individual. We struggle to accept that God had, could have such goodness in store for us as well, because we know our faults. We know how frequently we sinned in the past week or in the past hour. Right? We know how many doubts we have. We know the thoughts of unfaithfulness that we've had or, or the, the fantasies of just walking away that we've had. We know the, those, those things that we would be horrified to let anyone else know has passed through our minds or been harbored in our hearts. We know all these things. 
We know what we are guilty of. We know how, how, uh, how flaky we can be. And so we read something like this and we think, okay, maybe for others, but certainly not for me. But friends, that is not true. Whenever I speak to people and, and talk with even you guys and doing pastoral counseling and, and trying to just, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a gifted counselor by any means, but whenever I talk to someone who is going through a difficult time or depression or whatever else, and I just try to help you or to, to help that person to, to see the goodness of God for you and the grace that he has for you and, and the promises that are sure for us in the gospel. You know, to this day, I have never found that that person was not experiencing it because of God. They weren't experiencing it because them in their own hearts and maybe because of traumatic experiences or sins, either their own sins or sins that had been done to them had put up barriers. Barriers of qualifications, barriers of conditions and reasons why they couldn't experience the same goodness that they believed others might be able to. So often we are not experiencing God's goodness and blessing, and it's not because God is holding it back. It's because we are, we're putting those barriers up in one way or another, saying what well, couldn't be for me because of this reason or that. I find that it's, it's often, the way I compare it, it's like an allergic reaction. Because we still, even if you are a Christian and born again, because we still wrestle with the, with the reality of sin in our world and with the reality of sin in our, in our fallen state that we are still in right now, very often whenever we are presented with a passage like this one, which so beautifully speaks of God's loving kindness and his desire to, uh, to, to, to bless us and keep us, as it says, to make his face shine upon us. We hear those things, but because we have idolatrous hearts, we hear them, and it's like having an allergic reaction. We pull back, and we put it, start putting up all these defenses. So the reason why I wanted to start this morning by saying who is it for is, so, is to uh, try to get through your barriers, to try to get through your defenses, and if you hear me, and if you can hear me behind those barriers and qualifications, let me encourage you in the spirit to take them down and to be willing to receive God's word for you, his benediction for you this morning. Let me tell you something. You might be putting up all those barriers because you've thought of your sin, but you are not more holy than God. Stop thinking that your standards for yourself could disqualify his good plans for you. You're not more holy than him. Don't downplay his grace. You see, that recognition of how undeserving you are, but, how, but yet, in spite of how deserving you are, he might still want to bless me. Whenever we pull back from wanting to believe that, we're, we're not seeing the fullness and magnificence of yes. That is how great his grace is for you. Don't minimize his grace and his love towards such undeserving sinners as yourself. So this is who it is for. But what does it say? What were the priests to declare to the people? Before we talk about what the priests were to declare to the people, I want to pause and just, and just underline and emphasize 
One thing that I already touched on, but just in a little bit, uh, a little bit deeper here, and ask this question, whose words were these? So we already talked about who they're for. They're, they're, they are a benediction for the people of God who were in covenant with him in Israel and, for, in, in, and who are in covenant with him today. But whose words are these? Who are they coming from? These are not Moses' words. These were not the priest's words. And any time that they are spoken today, whether it be by a priest or a pastor or anyone else, they are not that person's words. These are not man's ideas or thoughts. These are God's words. Notice that three times, it's really, the scholars point out, it's, it's unnecessary that in this blessing, three times it would say, the Lord bless you, the Lord, the Lord, right? It says it over and over again. You really only need to have it once, right? Or, or, or by context, it's kind of implied. But instead, three times it says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. It is driving home to us who is speaking this and where this blessing is coming from. It is coming from the Lord. These are his words to you passing through scripture, passing through uh, imperfect communicators of that scripture, but these are his words for you. And notice this too. You might, you might know this if you have some Bible literacy, but whenever we read the Old Testament and we see the, the, the name Lord in small caps, you know, you know what small caps are in all caps, what that is telling us is that in the Hebrew, this is not just any name for God, but this was the special name that only the people of God uh, had. It was his covenantal name, Yahweh. Because they had other words for the name God, and they had various other names, but there was only one word that denoted that special covenantal relationship, that bonding relationship bound and held together by the steadfast love, the, the chesed of the Lord, Yahweh. And three times it says, Yahweh, 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 this is your covenantal Lord speaking to you. This drives home that God is the source of all blessing and goodness. And these are his words to you. Remember again, these are the words that you need to listen to more than you listen to yourself. So let's look at each one of these lines. The first one, it says, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. What does it mean for our covenantal Lord to bless you and keep you? There's, there's a scholar who wrote a commentary on numbers named R. Dennis Cole. And Cole said, blessing in the Pentateuch, and more particularly in the book of Numbers, includes numerous descendants, fruitful land, good health, long life, protection from enemies, and God's abiding presence. So whenever God says to his people here that the Lord bless you, and we hear that towards us, the Lord bless you, what does that word mean? What is the content of it? This is so important because such, since it can be so generic if we don't define it clearly, then we might start putting all of our own definitions, right? And we, we, we might start filling up the content of the word with all of our own ideas. And for some of us, we might start to uh, weaken it. We might say, oh, well, you know, the Lord bless you. It just means that 
like, you know, he gave you a second chance or, you know, he, he forgave your sins. And so, and so now you're not going to go to hell and you're going to go to heaven. And, that, and that's what it means. But that would be to cheapen it because, no, let me say, there's nothing cheap about your sins being forgiven. But it, his blessing for you means far more than that. It means on top of the infinite gift that you have already received in salvation and in covenant relationship with him, it means that he wants to bless you even beyond and on top of that, as Cole just wrote for us. He says, according to the way that is used, whenever we see what the Pentateuch, what, what did scripture mean by it? All those things that he listed. He meant generations that come after you. It means having fruitful lands. It means God actually taking care of you in your life blessing you with the things that you need and with many more good things even on top of that. How incredible is that? Now, with that in mind, we, there's a couple of errors that we do need to avoid, right? On the one hand, let me, let me address the obvious one. We need to avoid the error of thinking that it means we are always going to be prosperous and healthy and, and easy going. Because let's remember who is uh, the, the original people hearing this. Do you know who the original people hearing this was? If you remember what was going on here, it was the people of Israel wandering through the wilderness. These were the people who had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. The people who had experienced 400 years, or not quite 400 years, but, but decades uh, and generations of brutal oppression by the Egyptian empire to be freed from that by God. They were redeemed from their slavery, but because of their unfaithfulness, they were not allowed to go immediately, immediately into the promised land. They had to go through the wilderness and learn some things. They had to go through the wilderness and learn some lessons. So here they are in the wilderness, and they are hearing from God that he is going to bless them. Now, just because they were not experiencing all the fullness of that word in that moment, it doesn't mean that it was not true. As scholars point out, this, is, this, this uh, benediction was an anticipatory blessing. It was God's word and plan being spoken to them that he would bring into fruition, though they were not experiencing all of it in that moment. Okay, so we need to avoid the one side of error that we can step into here by saying, okay, well, this word, this benediction said God's going to bless me and keep me. He's going to make his face shine upon me. That means everything's going to be going well in my life. Always, all the time, it's going to be wonderful and yada, 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 right? It doesn't necessarily mean that. It means sometimes you might be going through a wilderness. Sometimes you might be going through a time of confusion. You might be going through a time that's more of lack than it is of abundance. But it doesn't mean that during that time, this, these words aren't true for you. In a minute, I'm going to talk to you about what to do during that time. But on the other hand, I think sometimes we take the opposite error because we don't want to sound like those, like we say, prosperity gospel believers or, or preachers. So we go on an opposite error and we overly spiritualize passages like these. And we say, well, as I pointed out before, God blessing you, it, really, it just means, okay, because we don't want to be prosperity gospel preachers, it only means he's going to forgive your sins, maybe, maybe take away some of your anxieties or things like that, but, but let's not push it beyond any of that. 
But whenever we are doing this as well, we are inserting our own ideas into what the scripture means and what God means whenever he gets us across, which is that whenever he spoke it over his people, and you can read about this in, in many other places other than just numbers, he meant more than just spiritual blessings, but that he did want to abundantly provide for his people. And so here's why I say that, because as you look forward at this year, you look forward at 2022 and the, the goals and dreams and, like I said, all the anxieties that you carry with you as you look forward before the year. Don't hold yourself back from going before the Lord and praying for him to come through, praying for him to guide you and to bless you with the things that, that are his plan, that he, that he wants to give you, even though they aren't purely spiritual. Go to him with those dreams. Go to him with those goals and, the, and those ways that you're really hoping he comes through for you. Go to him and pray and believe that he has a good plan in store for you. Why? Because you're one of his people. Because you're in covenant with him. And these words are true for you. How often, though, are we overcome with anxiety about our life? Right? We're overcome with anxiety instead, and we wonder how this and that are going to fall into place instead of remembering that we have a God who desires to bless you and to keep you. The second line says, may Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Make his face shine upon you. This, this is this idea or that phrase there, make his face shine upon you is a metaphor that's pretty common in the Old Testament. Maybe you've read it before, especially if you've read the Psalms. If you read through the Psalms, that, that statement's probably familiar to you. There's a couple of different examples. In, in Psalm uh, chapter 80, verse 3, the psalmist wrote, Restore us, God. Make your face shine upon us so that we may be saved. In Psalm 44, 3, it says, For they did not take the land by their sword. Their arm did not bring them victory. But by your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, because you were favorable towards them. In the Old Testament, whenever it talks about God's face shining upon his people, it brings about this idea like you can see here in those two Psalms that I just read. His face shining upon his people is associated with salvation, as we see it there in Psalm chapter 80. He says that his face shines upon us so that we may be saved. His face shining upon you is associated with a salvation, your sins being forgiven, being atoned for, being wiped away, done and uh, dealt with forever, and now living in a reconciled relationship with God. His face shining upon you is associated with salvation, is associated with deliverance from enemies. As I said in what I read you from Psalm 44, right? It says that they did not take our land. Why? Because his face was shining upon us. Deliverance from enemies is associated with God's good pleasure being shown down upon his people and then his good acts being exerted on their behalf because of his good pleasure shining down upon them. This is what God desires for your life. And this is something that is promised to you through this benediction that is for you as well, that his face might shine upon you. But how many of us, instead, we often feel as though we're in darkness? We feel that we are covered by clouds rather than being covered by the shining face 
of our Lord. Once again, let me encourage you, do not allow any barriers or, or, or clouds of your own doubt to come between you and the shining face of our Lord upon you. It says, may his face shine upon you. And then on top of that, to emphasize it even more, it says, and be gracious to you. And be gracious to you. So this idea of his face shining upon you, giving you salvation, protecting you from, from danger, protecting you from enemies or opposition, uh, uh, working out his goodwill on your behalf. On top of these things, even more so, it says, and then he's gracious to you. What does that mean? His grace towards you means his kindness towards us in spite of our sinfulness. Grace is this idea where there is a, uh, there is a superior who shows uh, kindness, as I said before, or, or goodness or gifts to an inferior in spite of their lower state and with the inferior one receiving it without any claim upon the superior, right? So what it means is, is that it's not a, uh, it is not a transaction. It's not a transaction between God and man whenever you experience his grace. It is not, well, you did something well. You did something good, and so in exchange for our good works, God then gives us gifts. That is not what grace is, because that would be compensation. But on the other hand, grace cannot be extinguished by your unfaithfulness. For even when you're unfaithful, even when you have been sinful, God shines his face on you. That's graciousness. Have you ever been struck before? Because you were going through a time whenever you were... I think of it like this, uh, in Psalm, oh goodness, the, word, the, the number is leaving my mind. It's either 72 or 73. In, Psalm, in one of those Psalms, 72 or 73, uh, the psalmist says to the Lord, after, after just laying his heart out before him, saying, why, why is everyone else having such a better life than me? I mean, he is just railing at God for like 15 verses. And then he says, he comes to his senses and he says, oh. He says, I acted like a beast towards you. Have you ever been caught in a moment like that where you recognize, what have I been thinking? Why have I been acting this way? And then you look around and you're surrounded by gifts. You're surrounded by all these things that in comparison to the way that you were just acting, and thinking, maybe that day, maybe for, for weeks you were going through that time. And then you look around, and in spite of all that time, he was still shining. He was still shining on you. And he was still giving you good things. And he was still being gracious to you, though you did not deserve it. That's what this line is talking about. May Yahweh, your covenantal Lord, whose love cannot be broken, right? And whose grace cannot be surpassed by any other shows of kindness. May he continue to shine his face on you and to be gracious to you. Friend, if you are in covenant with the Lord, in spite of how much you've been sinning this week and how much you think you don't deserve it, that is a benediction, a good word of blessing for you today. The third line says, may Yahweh lift his face towards you and give you peace. In the ESV version that I read this morning, it says, lift his countenance. Countenance is the same, is the, it means the same thing as face. They just use a different word there. 
But so we have, make his face shine upon you before, and then it says, may Yahweh lift his face towards you and give you peace. It's kind of an interesting phrase there, and that may not make a lot of sense to us. That's because it's, it's, it's a Hebrew phrase, uh, meaning this, God lifting his face. This is from uh, the scholar Cole again. God lifting his face is an expression referring to an appearance of the countenance uh, expressive of pleasure and affection, functionally equivalent to a smile. That's what it means. So not only may his face shine upon you, but may he smile upon you. That's what it means when it says, may he lift his face towards you. It's the affectionate countenance of a loving father on his children. If you have a child, if, if, for those of you guys in here who are parents, I think you can identify with this. And it's the only way, and maybe if you don't have kids yet, maybe you can try to, try to put yourself in these shoes because I think it's the best way to experience this. So maybe, you know, if you have a pet or, uh, I don't know, maybe the way that you look at for you single or childless people. Uh, uh, but I was studying this passage this week and I was studying that phrase and, you know, and, I, and I read what I just read to you and, and like intellectually I get it, but it still didn't quite, it didn't make sense yet. Right? I, 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 kinda, I understood it in one sense, but I still didn't really grasp the meaning of it. And then, uh, and then on, on Thursday I got to spend kind of a unplanned, just spur the moment, full day with my son. Just me and my boy. We, we didn't plan it. Uh, we, I, we, we didn't think it was going to happen. And then it just, boom, it happened. We got to spend a whole day together. I said, you know what? Work and wait today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it up this weekend. We're going to have fun together. So we got to do different stuff. We went and hung out with Lagan. And, uh, but then we went and we got pizza together because he loves pizza. And so, you know, I wanted to go get his favorite food. So we went and we got pizza together. And and, uh, and, and he's a slow eater, so I'd already finished eating. And I realized, I, kinda, I, I lost self-awareness for a moment and realized that I was just sitting there watching him eat his pizza. And then I, I kind of came to thinking, I, look, I probably look like a psycho or something, right? Because I'm just sitting there, and he's, just, he's, he's got grease all over his face, and you know, he also eats his pizza upside down. So pretty much all the toppings are falling on his lap, you know, and, and, but I'm just sitting there and I just, ugh. parents, you know, it, it, you can't describe it. It was the most wonderful thing I ever watched. And in that moment, I realized that's what it means. That's what it means. And oh, how could it be possible that God looks at me that way? But that is what he wants you to hear in this benediction. May he lift his face towards you. It is that same thing. It's the compassionate, loving gaze of a father on his child. It's the, it is the adoring and approving look of one upon their precious possession. May he lift his face towards you. That's what it's talking about. This is the way that God looks upon you. Do not listen to that voice in the back of your head. Do not listen to your doubting heart. Do not listen to the enemy who is trying to tell you to minimize that in this moment. But accept it, that God looks at you that way. 
He makes his face shine upon you. He lifts his face towards you. And it says, and he gives you peace. This is not just inner tranquility in the way that we talk about peace. Being, being like, uh, we, we, I think we think of peace as just inner calmness, right? Tranqui- inner tranquility, uh, lack of fear, anxiety, or distress. But whenever it says here in, in, in this passage that he lifts his face towards you and he gives you peace, it is not just talking about that, although that is associated, but it is so much bigger. The word in Hebrew is shalom. May God lift his face towards you and give you his shalom. Translated into English, it does mean peace, but his shalom is so much bigger. Shalom means completeness. It means unity. It means prosperity. It means health. It means security and wholeness. Shalom is whenever, not just, you don't, not just that you have that inner peace but, but your life is whole. You don't, you don't feel like things are falling apart, but you feel like things are together. Inward, inwardly, it doesn't just mean, like I said before, calmness, but it also means not a division of desires. So often, like I said before, because we are still fallen, we experience this division of desires within ourselves. Right? We want to follow God, but we, but we are still being tempted by sin. And we, and we want to stay on the straight and narrow, on the righteous path, but our feet are prone to wander. And so on. And so shalom is an interunity, an inner unity, a, a, a completeness of our desires, not being pulled apart, but only desiring the Father. Our mind not being uh, 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 tossed about by competing thoughts, by competing doubts. Or, or, and, and faith, but instead just wholly confident in him. It means whenever all is well in your family. It means whenever there is, there is unity between spouses and love and cooperative work between parents and children and so on. That's shalom. In your personal relationships, where do you have those times where you get together with your, your, your close friends and those people that you click with well, and you're spending time together, maybe over great food and drink and having conversation, and, and you're laughing, and, you're, and you feel comfortable to just, to just say anything, whether it be you know, really silly and goofy or whether it be serious and, and, and vulnerable. And you, you have this time together where you're laughing the hardest, you've laughed in months, but you're also crying. That's shalom. That's God giving you his shalom whenever you experience that kind of a community. It's whenever your home and your career are going as they should. That's shalom. Friends, this kind of wholeness and and, and flourishing of life, this shalom God wants to give to you. And like I said before, even if you're in a wilderness right now, it doesn't mean that he does not have it for you. It doesn't mean that he has not given you just the right amount of shalom that you need right now to continue through the wilderness and then trust in his promises to make it the rest of the way. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift his face upon you and give you peace. So what if I struggle to accept this benediction? I'll be honest, there are times and frequently there have been times and even as I said, as I've been 
wrestling with this passage in my own heart over the past two weeks now. There's times whenever I know that these words are true, but I struggle to believe them for myself. I'm not rejecting the truth of it, and I'm not not rejecting that God said it, but I don't believe it. I don't believe it for me. I've got all those qualifications up. I don't believe it for my family. I don't believe it for my community. I doubt. I know that you've experienced times like that, and maybe even if you're li- as you're listening to me this morning, you're experiencing some of that. You're saying, you're saying, look, I'm not rejecting it. You're saying, I want to believe it, so I need help. I don't yet believe, but I want to. So what do we do in those times? Let me give you some practical steps. The first one is this. You need to unclog your spiritual arteries. Unclog your spiritual arteries. How do you do that? You do that by increasing your Bible intake and worship. As I said in the introduction, we so, it is so important that we have God's words flooding into our mind so that we might take hold of them over the words that we hear in our culture or that we tell ourselves. You need to increase your, your Bible intake and you need to increase your worship. Increase your worship. One way you do that, very basically, is by being in the gathered community on Sundays. Make it a top priority commitment that you are here in worshiping with the community. And then, and then praise the Lord that we, you know, nearly all of us have these little devices in our pockets all the time that give us access to literally all the music in the world. <laughs> and so you can be worshiping all through the week. Turn off the Taylor Swift. Okay, and nothing against nothing is T Swift, all right? But but take a break from the world's music every now and then, or maybe frequently, and increase the worship intake. And and actually and don't just have it in the background, but worship with it. Decrease media and especially social media to unclog your spiritual arteries. Increase Bible intake and worship and decrease other media to unclog spiritual arteries. The second practical step is to bring your unbelief to Yahweh. You're struggling to believe. You're saying, I know it's true, and, I, and, I, and in a sense I believe it's true, but I'm, having, uh, I'm struggling to accept it. Bring that to God. Bring that to God. That is not a reason to not, to not go to him. So often we allow our unbelief as, as the barrier that stands between us and him. But instead, remember, you are his child. And even in your unbelief, go before him and bring it to him, confess it to him, and ask for his help. Pray to your loving father. Remember, this is Yahweh who said this to you, your covenantal Lord, who is not scared away by any of your struggles, who is not frightened or surprised by any of your sin. And so bring your unbelief to him. You don't know what might be causing that clog in your, in your spiritual arteries. Like I say, you don't know what might be uh, causing that blind spot, but he does. So bring it to him. Bring it to him and bring him your struggle. Confess it to him and say, Lord, I want to believe this. I want to live in it and I want to experience it, but I'm having a hard time. Maybe you know why. Maybe you're, you're thinking it's because I'm, I'm caught on this traumatic experience. I cannot get past it. Or I'm caught on this setback that I had. It's holding me back. I can't get past it, Lord. And I know that you're still good, but I just, I need your help. Bring those things before him. And then the third step. Then, after doing those things, live by faith. 
Friends, we live by faith, not by feeling. So often, because we aren't feeling something that is spoken to us in Scripture, we think that we are not being, uh, we think that we are thereby then not being faithful or that it can't be true for us, that we can't experience it. But faith means this. It means living by the truth that you hold rather than what you feel. So maybe you've been in a position like me before, even right now, where you hear a benediction like this one, and you say, I get it, and I, and I, and I want it, but I'm just, I'm not feeling it. There's something holding me back. Live by faith in the truth until you feel it. Live by faith in that truth. Remember the friends who brought their lame friend to Jesus. They climbed up on the roof and had him on a cot and they lowered him down uh, into the room where Jesus was. This was very early on in Jesus' ministry. He hadn't done very many miracles by this point. Um, I don't know if he had done any healings by this point, but they come and they lower him down and Jesus heals them. And do you know why? He says to everyone why, he, why Jesus healed him. He said, because of their faith. Now, did they come in, into that scene and say, we believe that you are the Messiah. We believe that you are the second person of the Trinity who's going to die for our sins and rise from the grave, that you have power to heal, to forgive sin. Did they come before him and, and, and do all the things which we normally call faith? They didn't do any of them. All they did instead was they, uh, was they lived out, was they acted upon the truth, the belief that Jesus could heal. And so, likewise in your life, until you get to the place to where you can fully grasp on to a, a promise like this one in number six or in another one, until you start to feel it, you still must live by it. So continue to live out the truth of what it says here, that the Lord wants to bless you, keep you, make his face shine on you, and so on, until that truth breaks through your unbelief. How do we get it? This peace that is described at the end is a state of being that's beyond human comprehension. Shalom, even in the, the best of human words and the most eloquent of communicators, can never fully grasp what it means for us. The only reason that we have any chance at all of experiencing shalom in the little ways that we get to experience it today and why we have a hope that we will get to experience it in full is because of Jesus Christ. Why do we have any hope? Why do we, why do we have any confidence to say that, the, that these words can be true for us and that we might get to say that, that God's shalom will be for us in the small ways we get it now and then one day? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus Christ came, and as the angels declared at his birth, he came, why? To bring peace. He came to bring peace. We talked about this in our Christmas series. He came to bring peace where there was once hostility between God and man. He came to be that peace and to bring it so that we might hear the words of number six and know that those words are for us rather than words of condemnation, words of blessing rather than condemnation for us, words of benediction rather than malediction for us. Though we are sinners, why? Because Jesus Christ came to bring peace. And how did he do it? By taking up his cross dying upon that cross, receiving on himself the condemnation that should have been ours. 
the shame that should have been ours. Rather than God's face shining upon Jesus, would he experience instead darkness, right? Rather than God being gracious to Jesus on the cross, he was vicious. His wrath poured out upon Christ. Instead of Jesus receiving peace, he received death. But because he took those things upon himself, we now have this promise available to us. This promise was accomplished by Jesus Christ on his cross in his resurrection. It was accomplished by him, but moreover, it is now held by him. So that these words remain true for you in spite of your unfaithfulness and your ups and downs and your, and your wanderings to the right and left off the road. That it is all held and bound together. And it is sure and it is something that we can keep coming back to. Why? Because Jesus, he accomplished it and then he holds it together for us. So that he might remind his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The benediction is accomplished and secured by Jesus Christ. We're out of time, so I'll finish with this. How do we experience it? I already gave you some practical steps before. But we experience it through this, an important step, by obeying God's covenant. In Deuteronomy 28, we read a, a longer but very similar blessing of God to his people. And he, and he lists out a lot of the same things here. And he lists out all the ways that he wants to bless them in their life with, with children and with land and, and, with, uh, and w- with a land that is flourishing and all these different things. He lists out all the ways that he is going to bless them. But what we need to understand is that he says that he will bless them whenever they remain faithful in his covenant. The blessing is for them if they remain in his covenant. Likewise, in number six, we need to understand that this blessing comes at the end of a long section that talks about how the people are to remain faithful and obey the covenant that God has given them. So we might be experiencing barriers to to receiving God's blessing because of our because of our sins and things we put up. But also, I think that sometimes we don't experience it because we aren't following in obedience to God's covenant. Like I said, his grace is there to cover our unfaithfulness, and his grace will not be broken by our, by our sin and by our giving into temptation. But friends, that does not mean that we then use his grace as an excuse. God's covenant blessings are for those who walk and live and obey in his covenant. So in light of all that you have heard today about the goodness and kindness that God has in store for you and that he wants to pour out upon your life as an expression of his love, his covenant faithfulness, and his grace, in light of all these things, how could it be too much to ask of us then that we obey his covenant, that we stay faithful to him, that in response to his benediction towards us, we we live a life that looks like it has been blessed by God? Because this was his goal. In Genesis 12, in Numbers 6, and in Deuteronomy 28, and so on throughout Scripture, we see again and again, God blesses so that we then might be a blessing. He blesses so that then you might turn around and be a blessing to the world around you. So do you want to experience it? Walk out some of the practical steps that I laid out earlier, and, and then on top of all that, obey his covenant 
and whenever he blesses you, be a blessing to the world. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, aaronchamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the anchor.